Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of our podcast, Med Family. Med Family, I know the name of our podcast. I'm Eric <laughs> Acker, the host, with Karen. Hey guys. And Evelyn, our youngest, has decided to never go to sleep, so she is here playing with a straw. <laughs> so. <laughs> So you might hear her occasionally. She's got a binky and is playing with her straw. Um, anywho, this week has been an exciting week. Uh, before we kind of get into, well, not really. It has been, it's been a, it's been it's a been week. Exciting, <laughs> it, I don't know if it, exciting is the right word, honestly. Uh, but it's been a week. Uh, but before we kind of get into any of that, I uh, just want to housekeeping stuff. Follow us on any of the major podcasting platforms. Uh, so Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, etc. And then if you have any questions, then you can reach out to us or follow up any updates on the show on uh, MedFamilyMD on Instagram. Uh, of course, if you have any questions, you can reach out to that. Please don't let us do that. <laughs> Movement of the microphone will make noise, just as an FYI. I am aware. <laughs> Those things, they pick up sound. <laughs> <laughs> but they're so pretty, you wouldn't touch them. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the, the terrible combination where Karen already has a has a fear of being close to the microphone and now has a baby who can reach the microphone from the distance that she typically sits and so she sits further from the microphone <laughs> in a room that we are constantly trying to make more soundproof. <laughs> well <laughs> this might be a short podcast this week. But well, yes, if you have any questions, feel free to shoot them off. <laughs> We will answer them, whether it be just personally or um, on the podcast itself. Yeah. So this week, uh, last week was our continuity clinic week, and we wrapped that one up relatively uneventful. Um, Relatively. There were, of course, some last minute things I had to take care of with some patients. And uh, and I I do have to say again, pharmacy is your best friend, Uh, especially if you are at a location or get to be at a location where pharmacy uh, will reach out to you and talk to you, especially when you share electronic medical record systems so they can just direct message you. They will save you every day if you have good pharmacists. Uh, <laughs> that, not, that's not to say that I'm misprescribing something or anything like that. Like obviously as interns, we're going to make some mistakes and we're, we're not going to be 100%, but like in this particular case, it just was... A pharmacist that saw something that I did not see and that was not apparent on physical exam. And then the pharmacist, it was very apparent to the pharmacist when the patient arrived there. So they let me know. Uh, And of course, pharmacists have their obligations as well. Um, So they're not just the prescribed monkeys that they, they don't just get orders and dispense medications. They actually do get to use clinical judgment and deciding whether or not they are going to dispense medications. So <laughs> um, whether you like that or not, that's, that's a, I think, a controversial on certain instances. But uh, in a, either case, this was a, one of those examples of them reaching out with a concern and then just getting, making sure that the patient's, you know, being taken care of and safe. And, and safe. So uh, 
can't can't express that enough how good pharmacists good pharmacists can be. Uh, I'm sure in the in the future there could be some like talk back, you know, on whether certain things are good ideas or not, and may have differing clinical opinions. But right now, as an intern, they are wonderful, <laughs> and they they have saved me so many times, um, and they're, they're helpful in, in explaining different things. And of course, like. Uh, what we learn as the formulary or all the medications that we think about at, that could be at our disposal. Not every hospital or clinic has at their disposal. So you might think that you, know, you can just prescribe anything and the pharmacist will come back and be like, well, we don't have that. How about this? And so that's another helpful, useful tool because they are not an endless bounty of drugs. <laughs> they uh, hospitals and, cl- and clinics and facilities that will have unlimited uh, drugs on their formulary. So, anywho, um, that was, I guess, Continuity Clinic last week. Yeah. We ended the week with going to the Apple Orchard, um, which... An Apple Orchard. An Apple. Not the... the, the apparently more than one in North there Carolina. There are several. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, we could argue whether that was a hit or a miss, um, the kids liked the play area, the like natural play area, but were very upset and, and then really wanted to go get apples. And then once we purchased all of our produce, they were mad that we were going to leave. So I don't know. And I still get asked why we didn't go pick them ourselves. And yeah, and, I, and the oldest daughter was complaining today about not being able to use the playground very much. And then how we last week we didn't get to go in the playground for as long as we wanted to, and they're, they're, they're dredging up old history, well, <laughs> three days ago history, but <laughs> apparently that was a not a hit with some of the kids, uh, at least the end result. Anyway, it, we'll debate whether we do that again. I know you made applesauce today, so hopefully... I, I did make applesauce. That was, that was a hit. I also made pie filling to make hand pies, but I have not made the pie crust yet. So um, I was thinking that I had made great progress in our 22 pounds of apples, but um, not so much. Oh, yeah? <laughs> there's still quite a few on the Like a half bags. a bag left or a whole bag? Well, there's a half a bag of the um, Fiji ones, but the baking apples, the Granny Smiths, there's more than half a bag. <laughs> Why do you call those baking apples? They're harder. But like... They're you don't want to bake with an apple, a softer apple. Because then it will just turn to mush. Oh, I know, but like that's like if I, if I were to choose an app, like when I was on the island, those were the apples that well, were. Well, that's firmest. because the island you got apples that were shipped from wherever, and they were mealy otherwise. All right, fair enough. Do you, do you need to? No, we're fine. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As uh, you stand up and hold the microphone with your one hand. And try to pacify me with the other. That's, <laughs> sure, this is gonna work. This is this is what it is tonight. This is uh, <laughs> this <solid>. is parenthood. <laughs> but no, so overall, I think the kids enjoyed it. I think they are misremembering. They were the ones that wanted to leave the playground until they realized that that was the final. Yeah, we weren't gonna be hauling around a bunch of apples and apple cider and um, what else? Muscadines. Muscadines, yeah. Those are like basically giant grapes. They are. Um, we've never had them before. Pretty good. 
Yes, the kids are not not super fans. Well, they're not exactly great at trying new things now, are they? <laughs> we're we're working <laughs> on it. Yeah, they they weren't so sure about those things, but we I think you were talking about last week putting up like a a vine um, over the back pa- patio. What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> go to sleep. <laughs> It's not going to work. It's never worked, apparently. As much as you want that to work, it doesn't work. Um, Any, sorry. Um, So this week, this week, we are on, you were going to say something? No, infectious disease. Infectious disease. So we are um, living the good life right now. Um, There's a part of me that does regret not having an infectious disease rotation in my third or fourth year. I know some people uh, in my term or my my cohort of students when I was a third year medical student had these uh, infectious disease rotations and they saw patients and they went to the clinic and they got a lot of exposure to that sort of stuff and I, I you know I always kind of shied away from that and I never went on my way to choose that rotation and now I kind of wish I had because I think just knowing your antibiotics and knowing your bugs a little bit better. Is probably super duper helpful, and um, so I'm not struggling per se, um, but that's mostly because there's not exactly a lot expected of me. <laughs> um, so our, the way our rotation uh, works is that we are given consults um, when our provider, uh, when our attending is on. Yeah, that was a. Maybe not the best idea. Maybe we don't do that again. <laughs> yes, a hollow plastic object that she froze into a room with wood floors and echoes. Um, sorry, do, do you need to pause for a minute? Oh, okay. Just just checking. Um, it's going to be a struggle to get through this episode, <laughs> I feel like. Um so we, our attendee has, gets consulted uh, for any number of patients that are in the hospital, and then he assigns it to me and another um, resident, uh, we're both interns, so we, he assigns us consults, we go see the patients, um, and then on the first day he gave us a whole bunch of patients, because um, he has regular, like a patient might be consulted on day one of the hospital admission, uh, for example, and then... We, we recommend a, a course, a treatment course and workup course, and then we kind of monitor the patient in the background, and then we maybe we will follow up with them two days later, uh, reassess the patient, re-provide recommendations, uh, and you know, kind of update notes as you go along. So that's essentially what goes on. So a lot of the, the four patients I got on Monday, um, like I think two of them were new consults and two of them were... Uh, old patients that we had uh, the the service has seen before so we were just kind of following up on care um, and so today I only had one new consult but I still had to follow up on the other four so uh, five patients to see again really not that bad really can't complain uh, we see the patients we do our, our interview our history taking and since we're a consulting service and not an admission service, which is what I'm kind of more used to now that I did four weeks of uh, admissions. Did I do four weeks or was it just two? Uh, I think it was four. four. Yeah. Um, 
you can pare it down to being your interview being about the infectious disease and um sorry it's i'm getting distracted a little bit um you can pare your interview down to infectious disease and that and not really go into too much detail on other things that could be going on with the patient whether it's like afib or um any all these other things going on uh, I think it does help to do to also think of other causes for patient presentation. So, like if the patient's white blood cell count is elevated, they came in with respiratory distress, and in the ED they got steroids. They can be on prednisone, uh, forty milligrams prednisone for five days, and the white blood cell count is elevated. Maybe to think about that being the steroids being the cause of the elevation, the transient elevation, as opposed to, oh no, the patient now has some sort of infection. We need to start looking at. Uh, source of infection and then antibiotics and blah 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 so it does help to look at the bigger picture i think um, but as far as our rotation is concerned we are essentially going out seeing and then reporting what we see back to our attending uh, and he has not yet asked us to tell him what to do we have not really been asked to provide a plan uh, which is plus or minus there. Uh, <laughs> um, and I think that's probably fair right now just because sometimes we get our consults a little later in the morning and we have to round with him at noon. Uh, today we rounded at 11, but that's a different reason. Um, so we, if we get our consults like at 10, 30, 11 o'clock, it's sometimes hard to go see all the patients <laughs> um, and have enough time to look up like what kind of plan we actually would want to implement on this patient. Because, I mean, it's a lot of it is governed off of um, presentation. Some of it's governed, of course, off of, like, guidelines, empiric medical therapy. So some of the empiric stuff is pretty bread and butter. Um, and some of the stuff is not. And then, of course, if you have um, blood cultures going, then that's another story of, like, knowing, oh, what, what kind of bug you have there now. Uh, or like where do we suspect that the infection is coming from and based off of the location you can then pair your antibiotics to cover bugs that would possibly live in that area um, so like aerobic bugs can be found in the lungs <laughs> um, whereas anaerobes are probably less likely to be found in the bug uh, in the lungs um, but you still have to think about atypicals and pseudomonas and blah 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 so a lot of lot of things to think about um so at this point we are not asked to provide plan but he will talk about the plan he will discuss it with us and he will ask us questions about what what possibilities there could be like if we got a, a mercifactoremia he's like okay where where do you think this infection could come from and then he goes like if we cultured the urine and the urine came back back positive for staph aureus MRSA um it's kind of redundant, but anyway, you know what I mean. MRSA in the urine would is that using as a primary infection, or do you, what do you think? And then it's like, oh no, it's actually not a primary infection. That's a seed infection. That's back the MRSA bacteremia seeding to the bladder, and giving you a, a urine culture positive for uh, Staph aureus, uh, which is theoretically possible to get a Staph aureus infection in the bladder, but not very common. So, and it, all these fun things. <laughs> so he does quiz us and talk to us about treatment courses, but in the end, it's kind of him telling us what the treatment course is going to be. And then we will go around on the patients, and 
he will examine them, talk to them. We'll come back to the rounding area and he will tell us again what the final plan is. And then we go write our notes and we'll be safely done. I mean, we do typically can stay till like 4 p.m. in case he gets another consult. Uh, he's like one of many infectious disease physicians that's, you know, in the hospital. And so uh, they, I guess he said today he's got like nine days of on call. And then um, the other ones have, you know, they all split it up essentially. So he's not on call every day. He's not on call every every weekend or anything like that. So not bad. Uh, he said he's actually not as busy. He said like compared to pre-COVID, he's actually less busy now than he was prior to COVID. So he's like, wait, like by 30. It, it, there's different rationales for this. So uh, one, one is... Uh, the people who would normally get sick and need to have infectious disease uh, consult them all got COVID and probably passed away, <laughs> a large component of them. So less uh, demand, I guess, less supply. Um, if we're going to go economic, supply, demand. Um, less supply, so therefore less demand for his work. Um, I'm sure there's other reasons as well. I mean, maybe there's also a thought process that you know, maybe primary care physicians or hospitalists have gotten more comfortable managing uh, more mild to moderate infections that they don't consult infectious disease over everything. And so he's not getting those consults anymore, whereas maybe in the past he was. And now he's just getting the big bad, the big bad bugs. And so it is what it is. <laughs> it also is a little unique with consult services where, uh, the primary team is still the primary team, so you don't always have to listen to the consult service. And so when you're on the consult service, you don't always get listened to, um, which is, in I mean, it's interesting. It's not, it's not good or bad. Um, I think, for example, I had a patient that was discharged. Well, they were going to be, they, they came in with like an asthma exacerbation, possible uh, bronchitis on top of everything else. And like, I think our gen, like, and it's, it's fine either way. I was like, well, we could, they, they had them on like Ceph, Traxin, and then they had them on um, like Ceph, Traxin, and Doxycycline dual coverage, I guess. And we were like, you can continue the antibiotics for like a couple of days, but like the patient's not very sick and they're doing pretty well. Um, and then you could either stop, which is, I think, initially what my attending just said is like, you can just stop the antibiotics, send them home. Um, but the, he had also mentioned the day before when I first consulted this patient that eh, you can transition them onto like a, um, an Omnicef antibiotic course for like three days. And so, which is like, uh, Ceftonir, I think it is Ceftonir. Uh, I forget. I think, I think that is a second generation, uh, cephalosporin. Um, I think and this is where my weakness shows up. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, we put that in our recommendation and the primary care team decided to just go with the no antibiotics, which, uh, it, you know, it is what it is. It's not a, not a big deal. It's not a, you know, you don't get bent out of shape over that. There's other times when it's a, maybe a little bit more frustrating when they don't listen, but you know, that's uh, the nature, <laughs> nature of the piece. Um, Yes, sorry, Ceftonir is a third generation uh, cephalosporin. My bad, not second, third generation. Thank you, Hippocrates. Uh, 
Best app ever. It's pretty. Guys. It's pretty good. Um, it's got some drawbacks, but it does pretty good. Um, I, I know my neuro. Like when, my, when I was on neurology in fourth year, um, the PI. I can't remember what it stands for, but it's like an FDA. You type in the drug generic name and you, you put like dot PI, and Google search it and it'll show up like an FDA fact she, uh, FDA sheet. And it's basically all the information that the drug company gives the FDA as part of the approval process for everything from pharmacology to pharmacokinetics to maximum dose, overdoses, everything you need to know about the drug is in that document. The only difficulty is it's like, you do have to Google it, then you have to get to the document, then you have to kind of scroll to what you want to look for, then you have to read it. It's all good things to do as you have time, but when you're on the fly and you're just like, I just need to remember one little key fact about this drug, look it up real quick, and then you're good to go. I think it's, especially for dosing, Hippocrates, I'm not sponsored, obviously, I don't get paid for any of this stuff, <laughs> but Hippocrates does do a decent job of like looking at your dosing and dosing and indication. So if you're like, oh, what is this patient on this for? Sometimes you can kind of feel it, you know, feel it out a little bit from looking at the dosing and the indications, and it will like hopefully it will match something up and help you out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it's 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 a way to kind of get quick information, and I do appreciate using the FDA PI information on the drug as kind of a more robust understanding of a drug especially if it's one that you use often and you want to be able to speak really intelligently and you really want to be able to use it to its fullest potential um, for whatever that might mean in in this neurologist situation he used gabapentin quite often because neuropathy <laughs> neuropathic pain um not not one of the indications for gabapentin according to not, not one of the approved indications of gabapentin but one that gabapentin is used all the time for interestingly enough i think it's um gabapentin is prescribed pretty frequently for the elderly very very frequently um i think it's i think it's approved for post-hepatic um it's like the zoster um post uh hepatic pain um and for it's also approved for seizures. I think those are the two indications for it according to the FDA approval. So technically using it for neuropathic pain in diabetic patients uh, and for other neuropathic causes is technically quote unquote an off-label use of the drug, but it is widely used. <laughs> Apparently there has been multiple lawsuits against the company uh, for advertisement or the reps talking about using it for neuropathic pain when it's not technically on the pi um, um there's lots of drugs that are used off-label use like yeah it's viagra just, is prescribed to elderly women a lot of times for, yeah it's like your blood pressure yeah. augmentation um i think the difference is is like the pharmaceutical company can't tell you that you can use it for that they That's can say fair. it does this, so make your best decision on how you would like to use this drug. Um, you, as the physician, have a right to do uh, use drugs off label, obviously with the patient's consent and patient's understanding. Um, you don't have to use drugs on label. <laughs> um, as we uh, here's a little hot take as a COVID um, 
<laughs> there was a, there was a lot of off-label use of drugs that there was some FDA and federal government uh, cr- clampdowns on that has since been reversed in the courts, and the courts have reaffirmed physicians' rights to use drugs off-label. Uh, <laughs> so you're a physician, you're a smart person, you went to medical school, or you are going through medical school, you can use drugs as long as you understand what you're using them for. Um, so, yeah, it also you take you take legal liability when you prescribe these drugs. So anyway, that's my hot take. Read, <laughs> read into it what you will. <laughs> I'm not going to get too into the weeds on that. But, yeah. um, but like I said, uh, the neurologists like to use this drug because very exclusively in his neurology clinic because of that benefit. And because he read the PI so well, he didn't see a whole lot of downsides to up titrating that dose higher and higher as long as the patient tolerated the higher doses. So, uh, again, you get you use a drug often enough, you get very familiar with its profile, and then you can use it as best you see fit, and you understand how you can use it, and um, it's all part of practicing medicine. I have not gotten there, so I do not have the comfort level to say so. Um, so, anywho, um, yeah, the consult service is, is going well. It's just me and another fellow resident, Hamza, and he's pretty cool. Uh, we're just both interns, so we're, we're just all figuring it out. Yeah, this is different than some of your other rotations. This one's only two weeks long. Um, so Eric will have two weeks on, um, and, I do two, uh, and then he'll go back to 8 South. <laughs> yeah, I just got my schedule today. I'll go back to 8 South for another two weeks. Um, bittersweet. <laughs> I, I think there was a, a part of me that was thinking that 8 South was a thing of the past. You know, like uh, I think someone had said at one point, you only do 8 South once um, a year. And you do the other floors the other times during the year, but I have done four weeks on eight south, and I will do another two. Uh, and I mean, legitimately, it's I say bittersweet because like it's tough, and it was tough at the time because I I felt like I knew nothing, and I still know a little bit more than nothing, but pretty close to nothing. I'm not that much far from the bottom, um, but. I did learn a lot. I did feel like I grew a lot during that rotation, and it's it's basically I like slightly less than ICU, so you do get kind of a a sicker group and a more interesting group of patients. So um, you're not um, waiting on placement on patients all day, or <laughs> so um, it does mean maybe longer days and less opportunities to study for step three, which is kind of the bummer. But uh, it but does keep you, keep things interesting. Yes, and it does sound like um, you might be partner, or Tiago might also be on that 8 South floor um, during that same time. So you'll actually get a rotation with Tiago, who you went to four yeah. years of medical school. Yeah, so that's kind of fun. together at the same, same medical school, the Harvard of the Caribbean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, he's on emergency medicine. Uh, residency, so he's got a slightly different life. I mean, he's on he's on like ophthalmology his last oh, few weeks, so they do like ophthalmology rotations. So I mean, it makes sense. Like, I mean, if someone gets something sh- stuck in their eye or some sort of eye issues, because I mean, people come to the ED for all sorts of different reasons, um, and eyeballs are not exactly my strong suit. 
Um, and it's actually not too many times you would be admitted for an eye-related issue. So I don't know if it's something that we would be really good at. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying that there's not internal medicine docs who aren't good at eyes, but like I am not great with the eyeball. Um, I understand the mechanics of the eyeball pretty well, but like um, pathology, not, not as good. Um, so it's good that the emergency medicine peeps are getting ophthalmology training, and that's good for them. <laughs> Again, they serve a purpose. <laughs> it's not just to CT scan and get troponins on everyone who walks in the door. <laughs> I jest, of course. <laughs> <laughs> or wait till two o'clock in the afternoon to admit all your patients. <laughs> Don't be a There was 180 people in the ED this afternoon. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, I was, I was sitting in the, the, the GME room where I do all my notes, and the admission team was sitting there, and they were just like waiting, waiting, and they're watching the numbers tick up, and they're like, at two o'clock, it's going to hit. We're going to get all of our patients at two. And sure enough, a whole bunch of the patients dropped on the admissions list. And it's just like, oops, it's when shift change happens. <laughs> I don't want that paperwork. We'll, yeah. We'll pass it off to you. Yep. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of actually what it, I think it's more likely is like you do shifts, like I think 12 hour shifts or like 10 hour shifts. And there's like a two hour overlap before and after your shift with the previous shift. So w when you're coming off, you know, you're almost two hours to the end of your shift, you get uh, to the next shift shows up and you hand off your patients to them. And as you hand them off, you can put in all your orders and notes essentially. So like you, it's supposed to be you've done a lot of your orders as you go. So like if you wanted labs and imaging and all that fun stuff, you have to put that in as you go. But like if you're like, oh, all my imaging or stuff has come back, but I've been dealing with all these other sick patients. I haven't had time to, to look at this patient who I know is sick. I know we're going to admit. I just haven't put in the admission stuff. That's when I think they have the time, like then how they handed off all the patients. All those sick patients are in other people's hands. They still have handing off this patient who's going to go to the floor, but now they're finishing the orders for the admission. So that's, that's yeah. So that they they have a little bit more time to do administrative work in those two hours. So that's why we get. It's probably not the best workflow, but it's uh, probably what they can do when they have 180 people in the emergency department. 180 patients waiting <laughs> waiting to be seen in the emergency department. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> Indeed. I would not I would not want to trade positions, no thanks. <laughs> I mean those are occasions where I'm like, oh man, maybe I should have gone emergency medicine, like you know, fifteen to twenty shifts a month doesn't sound that bad. And then I I go into the emergency department for a few minutes and I'm just like, Nope, this is overwhelming. I would rather not. <laughs> and on that note, after these next uh Oh, Four yeah. weeks, then he has his ED rotation, so I, I, it'll I, be an interesting... I do get to do continuity clinic in between... No, nope, that's no, our I vacation No, I take that week, week off. That's our quote-unquote vacation. All right, our study week for step three. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's it's crazy, isn't it, ED? No, I'm still awake. Um, yeah, so we, we took a week off to do step three, so hopefully... That'd be nice. I mean, as much as continuity clinic isn't really that rough, they do have us take two weeks of continuity clinic off in a year. So this is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Um, I think that's probably where we're going to call it tonight. Um, I think since Eric is going to be doing 8 South, we're going to do um, a couple special episodes in the coming weeks. More, just more on topic. topic. I, don't, I don't want to promise like interviews. I think it's more just no. topics that I'm going to talk about. Um, um, so I've not decided to interview anyone just yet. <laughs> haven't worked up the courage to tell anybody I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but we thank you guys for listening. Again, feel free to shoot us any questions, especially with all the applications going out here soon. Um, we are more than happy to help in any way we can. And yeah, anything else to add? No, that's it. Follow us on all the podcast streams. Send us a message on the Instagram, MedFamilyMD, <laughs> if you have any questions. You guys have a great week.